across this congregation, there are a lot of people who comprehend what it means to follow Jesus. But there may be a few that have never put the pieces together. So I'm trying to put the pieces together for those and remind those who know what it is to follow Jesus. For you see, following Jesus is just like me following Pud into the deep woods where I don't know, or me following Brent, is that what I've got to do is I've got to keep them in my eyesight. I've got to make every turn that they make, go where they go, if I'm really going to follow them. It is the same thing with Jesus. We have to keep him in our windshield, if you will. And so for these seven weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna connect the dots for you one more time. If you will, Jesus leads us to prayer, and prayer leads us to worship, and worship leads us to evangelism, and evangelism leads us to discipleship next week. Discipleship leads us to the fellowship. The fellowship leads us to ministry, and when those six come together, we'll be on missions together. And that's what we're praying for, aren't we? We're praying to, to get on missions. Even this summer, we're talking with a group in Montana about going up there and helping them in some mission work. You see, what you just saw on the screen is indeed the growth cycle for a church. Next week when we get to discipleship, one of the, some of the things that we will understand is that Spiritual growth and church growth spiritually is not an automatic action. It's not just studying the Bible enough. Because you see, beliefs have actions. That's what James teaches us. So, I want to connect these dots about how we're to do this. And as we look into God's Word today about evangelism, let me give you something that it really don't mean a lot to you until you see how it puts... Put together, and that's the Greek word that from which we get evangelism from. It is you and Julian. You and Julian. Now, Greek, the Greek language helps us with a lot of things that goes on around around here with things we speak. So that that you that begins the word is the is the prefix from for which we get the word eulogy. Does everybody know what a eulogy is? It's where somebody stands up in a, in a funeral service and says good things about the deceased. In fact, I heard Pud do that not too long ago with a good lifelong friend of his. Um, may I just give you an encouragement? This is not in the message. Live your life in such a way that the preacher or your friends don't have to stand up and lie. And so you is, is a eulogy, and then angelion, which comes in there, you'll find in the Greek, the angel, but it literally means message. So you've got you, good news, good word, and a message. So you put those together, and you're talking about the good news of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, it's not ever in the New Testament is that word in, from the Greek translated it is translated gospel. Do you know that's what we're supposed to be about? The gospel of Jesus. Do you know that's what calls us together today? The gospel of Jesus. But we conclude that evangelism that we're called to is sharing the best news, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. You're going to hear that today. And I just want to tell you, there is no better news, or if I said it in good old Jerry Watts language, there is no gooder news than Jesus. He is the good news. And what happens is that uh, when I'm talking about the good news, you're going, Brother Jerry, how does all that tie to those seven things you put on the screen? Well, let's just take up to this point. How is it that prayer leads us to worship? How is it? Simply put, when we go to to the Father in prayer, when we meet our Lord in prayer, our heart gets in tune with Him. Our heart... Uh, becomes his heart because we literally are given a new heart. And when we're given a new heart and we meet him authentically, then, then we want to worship him for who he is, for what he's done, for what he wants to do for us. Worship. So wait a minute, Brother Jerry. So I get that prayer to worship. Now I get that. Well, how about worship to evangelism? That's the simplest thing in the world. Even Brother Eric understand this. Here it is, Eric. You go from worship to evangelism because when you experience God in worship, you want to tell somebody. Hello? Okay. I did not get any sleep last night. Have I already put you to sleep already this morning? You see, you see, the truth is, the truth is, is that, is that, when something good happens to us, we want to tell somebody. Now, you can be religious and you cannot respond. But if your team won the national championship, you've been boasted. If, you're, if you win the track mate, you're going to tell people. If you kill a deer, you're going to post it on Facebook. Hello? Am I right, Kaylee? I thought so. Okay. The truth is we like to tell Good news. We know that in this life, and we can be religious and, and just kind of look down our religious nose, or we can just kind of be common folks and say, yeah, this is why Jesus died for us to tell the good news. We not only know it in this life, but we know it in Scripture. Now, today we're going to read a passage of Scripture, an extended passage of Scripture, and I'm going to irritate some of you because I am going to editorialize as we read. When I read this, when I read this passage, and I love reading it, I can just see the nuance of the discussion. When you read a uh, discussion on paper, it's just black and white. But I can read the nuance of this discussion. In John chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 29, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Verse 51, if you can, if you will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? Now the first three words say the next day. And that's, how, that's kind of how this goes. So let me just tell you, the previous day, the previous day, John has told those who are listening to him, John the Baptist has told those who are listening to him, that there's coming one after him who, he, who he's not even worthy to tie his shoe. John had a good perspective on Jesus. So now pick up verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going to pause there to say, basically what he's telling all his followers to do is, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Continue. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks 
before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Now I'm going to pause again to tell you that John the Beloved, who wrote this book, did not record Jesus' baptism. We can read that elsewhere. But obviously he's about to account for that baptismal event. Verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that's God, to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We need to hear that, Baptist. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's a good place for an amen. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he said, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. These, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, How simple is this? Come. And you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the tenth hour. That's about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means the Christ. He, Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. I love this part. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, maybe the first recorded Baptist in the New Testament. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. Nathanael the Baptist said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him simply, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Some translations say guile. And Nathanael the Baptist said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. 
You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to our heart. I pray that today that your spirit will impact us and call us and cause us to share the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love reading that passage because I think it's got so much levity in it. And I'll read it sometimes, and I don't want to be disrespectful to you, but I'll read it sometimes and laugh. When Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of, of uh, Nazareth? That's kind of like you saying, can any good thing come out of Lamar County? The truth is, is that, is that I love this because it teaches us so much. So continue thinking about the dots that authentic prayer leads to authentic worship, which leads to evangelism. The most natural progression of your life and my life if we follow Jesus. But I want to give you a warning, brothers and sisters. You go, Brother Jerry, that's not been that natural. Well, listen to me. If prayer... Personal prayer is absent from your life, the rest will fade away. It all begins with prayer. And then we get to evangelism. People go, ha! you know, there's so much misconception and misunderstanding about evangelism that, that it scares us and it frightens us. But it really shouldn't. Because Honestly, it should be the easiest thing that we do. Please, don't stone me. It should be the easiest thing we do if Jesus has really come into our lives, if he has really forgiven our sins, if he has really changed our hearts, if he has really saved us from heaven, if he has really secured a place, if he saved us from hell and secured a place in heaven. If we truly have a new heart, it should be as natural as falling off a rock. <clears throat> now, our text, what we just read, reveals this. It reveals not only Jesus finding people, but family members finding family members. And friends finding friends. And the invitation, the invitation is very simply, come and see. As we walk through this, I want to simplify this. Because I believe, I deeply believe, I have a conviction that every person who knows Christ and has a walk with Christ really wants to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No exceptions. Because deep down inside, 
we know what's happened to us. But it seems to me that without meaning to, we have complicated the issue. We have made it frightening. And candidly, please listen to me, Baptist, we've made it optional. Whether we tell somebody or not, we've made it optional. It's not in my notes. Brother Evan probably heard it too. At the evangelism a couple of years ago, Richard Blackaby was speaking. And he went into this long story about how he loved his wife, how he found his wife, and all of this. He said, you know what, folks? You don't have to coerce me to tell you about my wife because I love her so much. He said, a lot of you preachers tried to browbeat people into telling people about Jesus. He said, you don't have to browbeat people to tell, them about, tell about somebody they love. I hope we're not like the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 and lost or left or abandoned our first love. I hope we love the Lord who loved us enough to die for us. When we think it's optional to tell people about Christ, when we go weeks and weeks without baptistry being filled, when we go weeks and weeks without sharing our faith, we go weeks and weeks and nobody knows what we're re- Oh, man, we can do some good stuff here. We have the greatest cooks around. I mean, everybody's carrying 15 or 20 pounds extra right now because we got good cooks, Jimmy. We can do that. We can have good singing. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Brother Eric. We can have a lot of good things, but the best thing, the main thing, is sharing the gospel. It's just and not making it, not making it. Uh, what am I trying to say? We don't. We don't. We don't want to make it a have to. We want to make it what we want to do because we love the Lord because of what He's done for us. What He's done for us in this fellowship, for this fellowship. What He wants to do through this fellowship because of what He has done through us. We saw that this week, this year on the Angel Tree. God uses us and people respond. It's as natural as it can be. Given a word, before I get into what, to kind of pulling this apart in the moments that remain, I want, I want to say to you that there is not a word from Jesus about you being a mouthpiece. Oh, Brother Jerry... I'm just going to live my life. Well, that's great. Let me tell you something. If you live your life right so people will see Jesus in you, there's going to come a time when they go, why are you like you are? Let me call the preacher. No. Parents, your kids come to you and they go, I think I'd like to, I I feel him. I I just think it's time for me to trust Christ. Let's call Brother Evan. I guess I'm going to tell you, Brother Evan and Brother Jerry would be glad to sit with your kids and tell them about the Lord or your friends or anybody else. You know what's so sad about that to this preacher? You're missing the greatest blessing in life. Oh, I'm going to teach them about football. They better love Alabama or they better love Mississippi State or they better love Florida. I'm going to teach them about football, but I'm going to let them decide about Jesus. Could it be that we have... 
our priorities upside down? I'm going to pull five uh, words from our text here in a second to help us. But I want to just tell you there is no part of what I'm going to tell you that excuses us from not being able to give our testimony like that. If you know Christ, please listen. If you know Christ, you should be able to give a word of testimony at the drop of a hat, and it shouldn't take you but three minutes to tell people. I went to church all my life. I was baptized as a young boy, but nothing really happened inside. I started working in the church. I even came to a place called New Hope. And I worked in the church for 20 years. And one day, East Brent Baptist Church, Pensacola, Florida, wondering what was going on inside of me. I, man, I was as good as the next person. And I, I just, I had given my whole life. And God spoke into my life. He came and changed it. I got saved. You know what it's been like? It hasn't been perfect since then. But I've never had to go anywhere alone because he's gone with me. He helps me. He, he takes care of me. He grows me. He called me to preach. Man, I, that didn't take but three minutes. You know what? And you, don't want even, you may not want to rehearse it. I think you should write it down and rehearse it. How my life was before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and my life since Jesus. You should be able to share that with anybody for three minutes. And it does have something to do with people's attention span. Can you do that? But besides that, besides that, let me just tell you my track. Over the last 45 years, I have learned the Roman road. I have learned the four spiritual laws. I have learned EE. I have learned CWT. I have learned how to use the bridge illustration, evangel cube, three circles. I wrote my own that's called L-O-V-E. I've learned faith. I mean, if God could bless anybody for knowledge, it'd be me. But God blesses us when we share a simple message. That's what this church should be known about. Yes, our food, our soup, our soup kitchen or whatever we wind up calling it should be something our community knows, but they should know that we are doing that to share the gospel. All right. I feel like I just lost you. So let me pull, let me pull five words out here. And just kind of run around them. And they're going to be right in your scripture. Or I'm going to pull them right from your scripture about how to be evangelistic. How we can be evangelistic. And this is going to be something you've never heard before. Because I'm going to say, if I say God revealed it to me, somebody's going to come up and go, Brother Jerry, I don't believe God had any part of that. It wasn't that good, all right? So I'm not going to blame him for it. I'm going to tell you in my study my prayer, this is what I lifted out. The first word is the word identification. Identification. If you look in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming and he identified him. Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is him of whom I've already told you about for crying out loud. Here he is. He identified him. And I just want to tell you, in our culture today, even on the creek, there are people that don't know who the lamb that takes away the sin of the world is. Shame on us. 
You see, he identified him. Now I can see that verse 29, and I'll get to 35, 36 in just a second. He identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now please listen. Jesus is the centerpiece of the gospel. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have any gospel. In my life and in your life, we must identify the one who actually sees us in our sin, the one who actually forgives us of our sin, the one who actually replaces our old heart, the one who has done all the work on Calvary's cross, the one who secures the future, the one who gives us heaven, the one who saves us from hell, the one who gives us new life both on earth and in heaven, Jesus. You do know this. You may not be excited about it. But you're not, your life, your eternity is not secured in heaven only by your church membership or your church attendance or how many verses in the Bible you know or by, listen, your good life. Still haunts me. My one of my really good friends said, "I'm going to live the best I can. When I get up there, I'm going to plead my case." And I had to look at him and I had to say, "That's not the way it works." New song, one of the first new song, the group that everybody listens to today. When Eddie and them first got together, they recorded a song that said, "Good old boys won't make it into heaven. Good old boys won't wear a crown. Good old boys won't live forever where the saints of God are found." Don't you dare be misled. Only Jesus gives real joy in salvation. You can take it from me because I used to be a good old boy. Men, please, that, that speaks to us. Oh, man, I'm good. I take care of my family. I do everything I need to do for them. Well, that's great and that's good. That may or should be the result of your salvation. But unless you choose to follow Christ, you're not going to make it. Jesus is the one you trust. Jesus is the one you give your life, your heart to. Jesus is the one that sends the Spirit inside of you to to draw you to Himself. Jesus is is your answer. And it's only by trusting in and following Jesus that you're ever going to be saved. He lived to die for me. He lived to die for you. He rose to defeat death and hell. And the grave. Don't miss it. Identify him with your life, in your life, through your life. It's Jesus. Too many in our culture only know the name Jesus as a cuss word or a swear word. But he is the living word that changes a life. Every time I preach something this simple, I kind of get the feeling that there is a majority eye roll. Like, ah, come on, preacher, preach something deeper than that because, because we've heard that in Sunday school. We know that from Sunday school. The older I get, the more I'm, I'm keenly aware that we may not make enough of Jesus in the Baptist church. We're making a lot of other stuff, but we may not make... Enough of him. It's his love for all people. It's his uh, 
willingness to come. I mean, we have a culture that's going down the drain. And Jesus is the answer. And if we don't give Jesus evangelically, this country does not have a prayer. It's up to us. I mean, you can't expect lost people to give Jesus because they don't know Jesus. When it finally dawns on us one day about just how just how sovereign and how powerful and how holy Jesus is and how gracious he is, man, we'll make a lot of him. So can you identify Jesus in and through and with your life? The second word is where John moved it up a level. He moved from identification to introduction. Down in verse 35, the next day, he was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked, and he said, Hey, guys, behold, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is the one that I've been talking about. He literally introduced two of his followers to Jesus. Because he didn't want them just to have the knowledge of identifying that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He wanted them to identify as their Savior. You know, can I just say this? I I know I'm probably crazy. But introductions are the easiest thing in the world. Dwayne, I want you to meet Brent. Brent, Dwayne. All I got to do is know both parties. JT, this is Jimmy. You really don't want to know him. Jimmy, this is JT. That's as easy as it gets. Do you know that's exactly what John did? He knew Jesus. He knew his disciples. So he introduced them. And then you follow it right on down, and it happened all down in this story. You find Andrew. He knew his brother, Peter. And so he said, look, here's how complicated it is. Are you ready? Come and see. Philip went to Nathaniel the Baptist going, and after Nathaniel made that snarky remark, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He said, okay, come and see. Can any good thing come out of New Hope? Come and see. Can any good thing come out of Pud? Come and see. That's kind of like Acts 3 when, when Peter and John said, look at us. You see, the deal is, is that what's not written there is that John was saying, man, I want you to meet him. I want you to know him because he is the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of men. Not only did John identify him, but he introduced him. This third word is a word that that may be out of our hands. certainly was out of John's hands. It's the word interaction. I don't want you to follow this line of thinking. He had such an impact on Andrew that Andrew went to check Jesus out. He just spent the day with him. And that other guy, whoever was nameless, and he went and spent the day with him just to check him out. Have you ever thought about why they went and interacted with Jesus for an entire day? I'm going to use my glorified imagination to make a guess. 
I think it well could have been that they saw in John the Baptist a seriousness about how he felt about Jesus. A seriousness with his affection, a seriousness of his tone. You know, tradition tells us that Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. But I want to just tell you what's obvious as you read the New Testament. John the Baptist dearly loved Jesus. And his heart for that love was obviously communicated. How do you get people to interact with Jesus? Could it be that there's something in your life that they see when you speak about Jesus? When they put the words together with your daily actions... Listen, the noose is about to get a little tighter as I walk as I as I walk down our last two little points. Stay with me. You'll be glad you did. The next thing that I see, I see it two times. Jesus did it once, and Philip did it once. It's what I call the invitation. You know what an invitation is in just a few minutes. Just a few minutes, I'm going to conclude this message. And when I conclude this message, the instrumentalists are going to go to their place. Brother Eric's going to come here, and, and Brother Evan and I will be around here somewhere, and we'll invite you to Christ. We'll invite you to, to express your desire to be a member of this church. We'll invite you to recommit your life. It's an invitation. It's a very natural part. When you've, when you've identified Jesus and you've introduced Jesus, it's a very natural part to invite I mean, I already said this. After Nathaniel's snarky remark, Philip said, Okay, bud, that's your objection? Just come and see. Come give him a try. Wow. Could it really be that easy? I ask you, how long has it been since you invited somebody to Jesus? <laughs> okay, let me make it an easier question. How long has it been since you invited somebody to church services? Hello? I mean, how easy can it be? I mean, you just you, you invite people to worship. I'm, you know, if you'll come to worship with me, I'll let you sit by me. Isn't that good? All right. We're almost finished, but right now, before I tighten the screws of God's Word in our heart. I want, to, I want to put a smile on your face. I found this video many years ago, and I sometimes I just turn it on in my office because I think it's, I mean, it's right on point, but it's, but it's cute and funny. And here's what I'm going to tell you, the, reason, the cute and funny part. Go ahead and turn those um, lights down, Tim, if you will. And the cute and funny part is that things are not the way you think they are when it opens. Hang with it. Do I need to hear we're here? Hang on just a second, Todd. I want you to listen. This is a, uh, you're going to turn them off? This is called Grandma's Invitation. Thanks, Todd.
do you want? Mrs. Edwards, I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride to church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you'll like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be with your bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted. And for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. Okay, here we are. Anybody can invite anybody to a worship service. Come sit with me. You want to ride with me? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell on all you folks, you thought that music was coming from that car, didn't you? Yes, sir. Did you hear what he said? The staff, I'm just going to give this to you this way. The staff and I are reading a book together, and we're going over it chapter by chapter um, in staff meeting, kind of our personal development time. And the book that we're going through right now is I Will by Tom Rainer. And I Will describes actions to take. He says, one of the chapters say, I will move from an I am to an I will. I will worship with others. I will grow together. I will give. I will serve I will avoid the trap of churchianity. I will make a difference. But the last time we had staff meeting, we didn't meet this week, but week before last, we, were, we read the chapter, I will go. I will go. Speaking of going to people and just inviting people. And one of the things that we talked about in staff meeting. They said as they ended this, they said, and I'll tell you where it came from. Tom Raynard, he surveys people, and he, uh, his group came up with this. Eight out of ten people who are invited to attend service will go. Does that convict anybody in here? You know what it tells us? We're not inviting people. And yet evangelism is at the heart of what we do. And that brings me to the last word. It is the word implication or implications. What are the implications if we don't go? What are the implications for us refusing to be evangelistic? Here's what I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, with all the love of my heart, I'm not mad at anybody. There is so much at stake 
Verse 51, Jesus speaks of the heavens being open and being able to see the, the uh, angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that could be at the end of the time. If it is, it's only for those folks who know Jesus. We're back to the issue. It's all about Jesus. We truly know Him. We truly love Him. We want to give our testimony. Consider this testimony. When I was younger, I fell into a river and I got kind of turned upside down and I couldn't get right in and I was being swept away. And when I went under for the last time and I thought my life was over, a hand reached down in the water and picked me up and saved me. I'll never forget him or what he's done. Or how about the little boy that, that's, that could have said, my house caught on fire. I was in my room. I was trapped. The windows had smoke and fire in them. The door had smoke and fire in them. And I just, I was just backing in the corner knowing what was coming. And all of a sudden, I heard a, a, a loud sound. And the firemen broke through the floor. And they pulled me out. And they pulled me to safety. I'll never forget what they did. Do you know that's exactly what happened to you when you met Jesus? Oh, it didn't happen for me like that, Brother Jerry. I'm just telling you, if it didn't happen like that, you didn't have the right thing happen to you. The truth is, if you've been saved, that's exactly what he did for you. He saved you from hell to heaven. You know what I wonder? And I'm, I'm ending. I know I've been long. I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. I'm not pointing my finger at you without pointing finger at me. I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. We say that we believe Jesus saves. We say that we believe that without Jesus people go to hell. We say that we believe in hell. But I wonder if we've drifted so far from the truth of his word that those things have kind of slid into the background of our memory and that we we kind of believe that everybody's going to make it. You know, it's going to be okay. Everybody's going to make it. You say, I don't know that I believe that, Brother Jerry. Well, I got you. But I'm telling you, our beliefs control our hearts, our passion, and our actions. Some of you will know the name Penn and Teller. They're famous musicians, magicians, not musicians, magicians. I had never heard of them. And when I got to looking, I know why I, I didn't. Penn is an atheist, so obviously their act is probably laced full of... I've never heard them really use foul language, but obviously it's there. It's the underlying part. About six or seven years ago, I was at, <clears throat> I was at a conference, a preacher's conference, in Mobile, and I heard the I heard or the pastor who was preaching to challenge us used this video. I know you're not at the movies, but this but he says it. I could tell you what he says, but he says it in such a way as an avowed atheist. There is one statement that he gives that penetrates my soul. See if you can hear what he says and see how it impacts you. 
I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, or the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick. You know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of... Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm, I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize 
and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. I know it didn't escape you. The same thing that didn't escape me. When he said, if you believe in hell, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? That's what evangelism is all about. How much do we love people? How much do we love the Lord? He calls us to be His mouthpiece, His hands and feet. And honestly, He expects it of His children. Here's my question today. Are you one of His children? Has He changed your life from the inside out? Because you've received Him, received His grace and His mercy. If not, why not do that today? Let's pray.